Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodechicago.com. We are in a series right now where we're doing a few things differently, stepping outside of the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that we're doing as we look at Jesus as the cornerstone of all we do as the universal church, not just here in this building, one of the things that we're doing is we're reading the Nicene Creed together. Now, if you've been around a while, you might think, oh, we don't always do a lot of creed reading. This is a little bit new. But the reason that we're doing this in this series specifically is that these words, as written by the early, uh, early followers of Jesus, were to solidify the basis of what it is that we say when we say that we follow Jesus as Lord. So if you are new to church or checking out church, you do not need to feel any pressure to join in the reading if you want to just like hear it and think, I want to think what I think about this. But for those of you who um, uh, call Jesus Lord, I encourage you to join me in reading these words because they are our foundation and formative words and what it is that we mean when we say we're following in the way of Jesus. So please join me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So these are some of the words that are formative to us as we talk about what does it mean to be, in this case, Catholic meaning universal, the universal church. And in this series called Cornerstone, we've been talking about, as we break from the Gospel of Luke for a moment, to say, like, why does all of this matter? When we say that we're following Jesus and we want to learn the way of Jesus, we see throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, this language about a cornerstone. In the Old Testament, there's a promise of God that God would lay a foundational cornerstone. And there's also an acknowledgement in some of the prophetic books that for some, this kind of uh, stone of foundation would make some trip, would be a stumbling block to some. Within the New Testament, the writers came to acknowledge that Jesus Christ, Messiah, 
was the one that God had promised to be this cornerstone, to lay the foundation of the people of God as now the church, the presence of God in our midst today. And so week one of this series, we talked about what it looks like from the Ephesians 2 passage with Jesus as the cornerstone for us to be built into God's holy temple, to be the temple presence of God as part of our identity or our vision for what it is that we're doing. And in week two, we talked out of 1 Peter 2, again, cornerstone language, saying that like with Christ as our cornerstone, we now become a a priesthood of believers. We become the people who, who tell the good news about Jesus. And so that part's talking about, okay, if Jesus is our cornerstone, then what is it we do? What is our mission as a church? And I've been saying in the last few weeks, this isn't about, I'm using our language as a springboard, but this is what being church, the people of God, followers of Jesus, fellowship, this is what this is about, no matter what language you use. And we talked about um, what it looks like to enter into that, regardless of denomination, your language, your worship style, anything like that. Like, what is this identity? If Jesus is our cornerstone, what does it mean to be a holy temple a priesthood of believers. Now for these next few weeks, you'll hear a little bit more leaning into our personalized language. It's not because I think we have like the best language or anything, but in the world of getting to know one another or being reminded of everything that we're doing and why we're doing it, we wanna talk about how that unique expression happens within our personality as a community right here where we are. And so we're gonna talk about our values. Spoiler alert, the next three weeks are on our wall you know what we're gonna be talking about in beautiful handwriting up there. Today we're gonna be talking about renewal. So these three marks are ways we have felt called to engage in our specific context, our time, our place, for right now. It doesn't mean that they're unique to us, but they're things that we uphold and wanna hold one another accountable to or spur each other on towards as a community who wants to be following Jesus. They're kind of marks of our personality. And we talk about the ways for this series that these values or personality marks might be expressed in this season. What I mean by that is that that last part can change. The way that you express yourself can change seasonally sometimes. I relate to this as a mom, right? As a mom, as a person, I have certain values that I live into, but the ways that those are expressed in my mothering might depend on my kids, right? Are they teens or toddlers right now? It might depend on the situation around us. Are we navigating anxiety with remote pandemic learning or are we navigating moving into a new dorm room by any chance? Something like that, just saying hypothetically. Like what is the situation going on that we're navigating with the kids? What's my own life stage? What's God uh, showing me? What's being refined in me? All of these things shape my personality is one thing and my values may stay the same, but the way that those are lived out can alter a little bit seasonally. So that's what we're talking about as a community. What we espouse as core values are true for a long time, but how we engage with those or how we might see those worked out can shift around seasonally. And so um, we wanna talk about our response in this moment in our situation. So these next few weeks are indeed sort of a getting to know us or remembering who we are for those who've been here for a long time with through our core values. We believe these are important to the heart of God And we want to learn specifically how to live into that um, in this season of life. So our first value that we're going to talk about today is the value of renewal. The language we have around that is this. We experience God's restorative power 
flowing into and mending the broken and hurting places. And we join the stream of this grand renewal project by making known the all-encompassing love of Jesus in our neighborhoods and city. Okay, the, the language isn't the thing we have to remember. Don't worry. I'm just giving you an example of how we express this. And you're going to say, hopefully, a lot of this language sounds like stuff we've been talking about already, right? The uh, broken and hurting places, right? We've been talking about God's plan is to have kingdom inbreaking exactly to those spots. We talk about wanting to join God as God makes all things new, right? So this joining the stream of renewal is what it means to be the holy temple, the royal priesthood. Making known the love of God, that's what we talked about last week. What does it look like to make disciples of Jesus by living out our living witness and letting people see the story of what it means to follow in the way of Jesus? And then the whole part about in our neighborhoods and city, we talked about that last week too. The little pockets of wherever you are, wherever your cubicle is, wherever your school desk is or your dorm room, wherever your condo is, whatever it is, that is the pocket where you are and where we believe that kingdom inbreaking can and will happen through the people of God. So yeah, the language is pretty familiar. We don't need to spend a lot of time on our wording. What we want to talk about today is the why. Why is this something that we would hold as one of three top values that we want to hold as a community together? So the why and then the how in this season. The heart behind this language is really to clearly state our intentional commitment to be people who value reaching outwards, spreading uh, renewal good news of Jesus, sharing in renewal moments of God at work beyond the people already here in our midst. And that's really at the heart of this, is like an outward focus to remember that while we as a community have a lot of love and care and service and worship and shared things together, that we also want to remember that we, as a royal priesthood, want to have an outward vision for these pockets of kingdom inbreaking. So that's sort of the heart behind this language. We know after Jesus was resurrected, he told his followers who had witnessed it, you've already witnessed these things, so go and tell. Spread this news. Make disciples of all nations. This is for everybody now. God's plan, as promised to the nation of Israel, is now coming to fulfillment. What I said to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. It's time. That's what Jesus says. This is for everybody. Outward outreach focus. Tell everybody and baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons we're emphasizing baptism through this series as well. And you might think, okay, like making disciples like we talked about last week, this like living out your living witness with the people you're in relationship with, we get that. But when you start saying things like outreach like this, Melissa, I'm feeling a little bit of that public preaching, pre preaching in the public square vibe. Like that's not really my thing. And I get that. We'll talk about that a little bit more. There are moments. There have been movements recorded in history, uh, starting with Peter in the book of Acts, right? The first big church revival moment right there from the beginning, but also throughout history. We've seen these big revival moments where that preaching in the public square, circuit ministers went out. There was situations where fields of people were gathered and hungry to hear news. That has happened. I'm not devaluing that at all. That's amazing. I think it would be so cool to be in a moment like that for sure. People hungry and big fields of people hearing the news and coming to faith. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. In these days, I'm just sensing and experiencing something a little different than that. And so I want to talk about what does it look like to still be people of renewal? 
when we see a lot of people a lot more skeptical with words around like church movement and stuff like that. And I'm gonna dive into what I think is happening. I think that there is, in the wake of some pretty notorious church figures falling in scandal, there is a little bit of hesitation around church as movement or some like big rapid growth thing. There's, we have people who are skeptical and not just of church. I mean, I think that we're all skeptical of just about everything in some ways right now, right? Just more so than usual. I remain an optimist, but I can feel a little tweak in that these days. Some things happened lately. So we, we, we're not knocking it. It's just the fact there's an erosion of trust. I think in a lot of ways, there's an erosion of trust that has happened with church as an institution. And I want to highlight that part because it's important. This organization seeking massive growth, like that kind of language is a little cringy right now. That's not the way that we are in this moment of time. And I see part of the reason I've been talking about this and why we're focusing in this, you guys know I have so much passion around the idea that our living witness is messy and holy and broken and gritty and glorious. But it is a little bit messy as we do this thing called being church, being a people of God. And it's not that, that we need this language that we've been talking about to come against that kind of institutional skepticism that's out there in our world, and we understand why. What people want right now, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, is people are hungry for real relationships. To see church as a community of people, not like an institution or organization, that language isn't, isn't what we're focused on. And yes, churches organize in certain ways. Any group of people, if you put them together for long enough, are gonna organize in some way. And we're not gonna say one way is better than another, like whatever, there's an organization that's there, God is a God of order, not chaos, all that. Organization's fine, but if this is not the moment for people to be like, yes, that institution's really appealing. It's just, it's just not really what's going on in our world right now. People want relationships. They wanna see real people with lives impacted by the way that they're living out their life together. Not elevating an institution, real lives impacted by God. So I'm gonna like pause because there's a slight threat, uh, slight threat that I could just be going on this passion soapbox for a minute and we need to be grounded in scripture because that's what we do. And so I'm gonna go back to the passage that Matthew read for us and we're gonna root our moment in this, this teaching of Jesus. I'm gonna read it again, Luke 15, one to seven. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And when he calls his friends and neighbors together, he says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So this is a somewhat familiar passage to some of you if you've been in church for a while or even just I think the, the, um, the concept of a lost sheep is one that even has infiltrated culture. So you've probably heard of this concept in some way. And some of us can resonate with that lost sheep thing. Be like, I remember I was lost and then I am found. I think we probably sing songs about it. Like that's a familiar thing and it was beautiful. And we celebrate, man, I was lost and Jesus found me and it was really a pivotal moment in my life. Or maybe you feel that way right now. You're like, I'm totally the lost sheep. I don't know what's going on. I could really use some idea, but I'm skeptical. Fantastic, welcome. 
What a great place to be skeptical and ask questions, right? With people who are learning to live out the way of Jesus, welcome if that's you. But you might resonate with that lost sheep in a different way right now. And you need to hear, you're hungry to hear words about love and forgiveness and grace and healing. Welcome if that's you. For some of us, I think we hear this story and we can sort of put a face of a loved one on that sheep. Maybe we've been carrying them in prayer for so long. We've been trying to seek after them, and we know, and they still are out there wandering. So this parable, I believe, really like hits us, hits a note with us and is known to us. And I love this beautiful imagery, the, the, the imagery of Jesus as a shepherd, like tenderly picking the sheep up and getting all dirty and carrying it, the love, the tenderness. I love the uh, imagery of Jesus seeking, the active seeker to go out and do that intimate, personalized looking. I love that. And I love the imagery of the celebration in the spiritual realm when Jesus is returning with the one, right? There is a celebrate, there is a party happening in the spiritual realm when one returns back. Celebratory imagery, I love it. But today we're going to the introductory line. We're gonna leave the sheep for the moment. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors, and I'm sorry, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are the devoted people of God. They are not celebrating. They are decidedly not celebratory. This is in direct contrast with what Jesus says is happening in the spiritual realm when somebody is coming back and finding their way back to God. And these guys are the opposite right now in this moment. Because these people who are willing and eager to hear the good news of Jesus weren't the right people for their comfort level. Tax collectors, for those of you maybe who haven't heard this, that feels like, I mean, is it like a sin to work for the IRS? It is not. Um, tax collectors in that culture were con- considered um, like to be ones who betrayed, right? Because you were a Jew, but you were working for the Roman Empire, like huge no-no. Also, that industry was really known to be ripe for corruption, financial burden. It was, it was like you, you were kind of a traitor. That's why, in case you hear those things linked and you didn't know the history, that was a specific role in that time that was one of the worst of the sinners in that mind. So they're often linked together. Okay, tax collectors and sinners are gathering around to hear Jesus, they're coming towards, they're drawn in to hear, to see, to feel this healing touch, these words of like healing salve to their souls. They are gathering to hear. Jesus starts into this story and we can quickly kind of feel this way, like how these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, like they would be the ones who were the righteous, right? The righteous 99. They're the ones who would put themselves listening to this story. They were hearing this story. They would put themselves and feel like, yeah, I kind of, I would be the one of the righteous 99. But the lost sheep, that one outside of the way of God, they were eager to listen, those ones outside, right? They were eager to listen and they were being welcomed by Jesus. Jesus was eating with them. And in case that gets lost on us, I just want to point out what that means because it's like super scandalous stuff in this culture. So beyond Jewish culture, now go to the broader culture of this time. In the Greco-Roman world, dining together was assumed to create a bond between participants that implied social and ethical obligations. Okay, 
Basically, like, that meant something, and you guys now were in relationship. Can you imagine every time you sat down to a meal, it meant something that intense? Like, that would be really, it's, it's something. You've made a choice, and you now have this arrangement, something going on. Now, that is in the Greek and Roman world. Within that culture is a subculture, which is the Jewish people. So when Jesus is sharing fellowship, it's uh, deemed scandalous because it appears to imply acceptance and or approval of the person. Note that, not necessarily this, not the sin, not necessarily, like just not the sin, but the sinner has been accepted by Jesus. That's a really big deal. So Jesus' opponents believe that eating with sinners is tantamount to welcoming them or befriending them. And that is blowing some minds in, an, in a not good way to the people who are thinking that Jesus' way is is radical and stark. So I'm actually going to go back to that soapbox I was on before the scripture for a minute. Here's what I'm seeing. Coming out of the last few years, and I don't just mean COVID. I mean, I'm watching the news too beyond that. All of it from the last few years. Here's what I see when I think about renewal and us as a people thinking about being outward focused. I see a lot of people Suspicious, as I mentioned before, of the institution of the church because of the scandal they've seen. I already mentioned that part. We know that. We would be silly to act like we did not see that these things matter to people when our living witness has been broken and messy. So I do see that. I see suspicious people because of the institution of church. I see that a lot of people are suspicious because in the news we see some political agendas cloaked in religious language that is confusing and troublesome. And without a community to work that out in, you just are sitting there and like, I'm super skeptical about what's going on here because the linking of this is making me have major red flags. So I, and I see that, I talk to people with that. And then third, I would say this, I've talked to a lot of people who are suspicious of the church because their own hurtful experiences where they've been a part of a community where it's exactly not the place to be hurting or broken or asking questions about Jesus. And so they hurt. They've been hurt by people who um, they were told were their helpers. There's hurt in personal experience, and they haven't felt embraced. So that's what I hear and engage with often in this moment outside of our walls. And I want to bring that up because if I look to this value of renewal, which we believe in kingdom inbreaking, we know that God is at work through the people. We know that these moments are still happening. So then what does outreach, outward focus, renewal look like in the landscape I just described? I think the first thing I would say is it's deeply relational. Those kind of hurts, those kind of conversations, those need a deeply personalized connection to work through, to wrestle through, to honor, to lament, to repent, to all that stuff. There's no one talk track that gets through that level of deep skepticism and hurt. There's deeply relational time in the life of the church. Back to that megaphone technique I was talking about earlier. It was funny because I was thinking about this and I was like, I just don't think that this is the moment for that. And I was remembering, like, I haven't even seen that actually in a long time. I can remember I had a very uncomfortable exchange years ago on Michigan Avenue with somebody who would like not get off my tail because I couldn't remember the date of my baptism. I'm not kidding. They were like, have you been born again? And I was like, yes, totally. I'm good. Thank you. Like, and they were just like, when, when, oh, congratulations. When was your birthday? And I was like, ah. 
it was like January 1975. I don't remember the day of my baptism, though. Like, I just, I couldn't. I was flustered. I felt a little, anyway, I was like, I don't think I've had another encounter with somebody who was taking that kind of, like, megaphone approach. And literally, you guys, yesterday, driving home from Trader Joe, I saw a guy crossing Ashland with a megaphone and a ginormous sign, and the only word I could read was hell. And I, I just, he was walking kind of fast, and he was giving up. And I'm like, listen, people have come to faith in those encounters. I'm not begrudging that. What I am saying, first of all, I almost tossed my whole sermon because I was like, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I think that what I'm hearing where these deep moments are happening, I talked last week with Sunghae. Well, many of you know her. She usually sits right, right up here. She's out of town, Aaron and Sunghae. They were visiting friends. And they were hearing the story of two of their friends who've moved from the States from China, both of whom have come to faith since being here. And both of them as a couple had totally different stories where deeply personalized, separate conversations were the way that they could finally hear a different narrative about this thing called the people of God. Both of those happened in deeply personalized ways. And when they were saying what they thought the big arch of the story was, had to get broken through in these moments. And there were two people witnessing to the faithfulness of God to meet them exactly where they were with a message that spoke to their heart. I believe that street corner preaching can do a thing and has. It absolutely has. But what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing for us here that I'm supposed to say is like, guys, it's going to be deeply relational right now testifying, talking, and sitting in those uncomfortable spaces with the troubles that I mentioned before. Deeply relational. Number two, the thing that I feel is that um, we have to stay aggressively and passionately committed against the us and them mentality that we see even in this scenario in scripture. We cannot elevate the comfort of the us because the them make us uncomfortable. Now, We see that right here, right? The righteous ones are being made highly uncomfortable. And in this moment, as the 99 righteous, right, they are the majority culture in that setting, and they're highly uncomfortable. If you are not familiar with the us and them mentality, I I brought the book. You can take a peek at it. Christina Cleveland, who's a sociologist, um, talks about this uh, in Disunity, Disunity in Christ. I think that's the name of it. I can't see it from here. Anyway, she talks about, this is so human, you guys. This is sociology. We have to categorize to make our world make sense or our brains would just explode all the time. And so she talks about the propensity to create an us, which then immediately makes a them, which makes our world make sense. Now, we here have talked about this. In the church, it's really important. We've talked about this when it comes to race because uh, the, the assumptions of us and them create an assumption of majority culture comfort that has to be elevated, and we come against that. That is true. I would have mentioned here, it's in a bunch of other categories too. Right here, we see it with the, with the religious elite being in us. We see it with socioeconomic breakdowns. We see it in uh, uh, mental health capacity breakdowns. We see it in all different ways. The us and them mentality that we will naturally have a human tendency to make sense of our world is automatically excluding groups without us knowing unless we recognize it's in human mind nature so we can come against that and look to the radical inclusivity of Jesus and what Jesus is doing here. Outreach and renewal is really hard to do if we are blind to where we might have those categories just being in our brain all the time. So we just want to be aware of them so we can come against that. So in light of this, 
deeply relational, and just looking at the Pharisees and tax collectors and just saying, we cannot do the us and them. We can't do it, those two things. So what might it look like in this moment, in light of all these things we're talking about in our moment of time and who we are, where we are, to look at renewal and to look at an outward focus and believe that renewal could happen to those outside of the fold. In light of today, uh, simply put, I think that our most, our, our most valuable tool in this moment is to call one another to a commitment to radical hospitality. And what I mean to that is radical hospitality to the table of God, the kingdom banquet that symbolically was happening every time Jesus sat and ate with tax collectors and, sin and sinners. Every time he broke real bread and loved people in real tangible ways, that was hospitality. Now, where do we try to foster that attitude here? Super quick, you guys hear about these things. We do community nights so we can open up space, sit around the table and do life together. We have gospel communities, we call them GCs. These are weekly groups that get together to do the same thing. We work on our hospitality. Our hospitality team is amazing to create a space that would open up and make people feel welcome and that they could have a sparkly water at church after church while they hang out. It's little gestures that matter, right? So these are places to be involved in the life of the church. And by the the way, you guys, I'm not saying check. Look, don't we do a good job? I'm saying like, hey guys, we're trying to foster spaces. Come on, help out. We got to do this thing together. These are just some ways because as a church, we need to have some to foster towards this goal. But here's the bigger one that I want to say outside of those spaces. Hospitality is the posture to invite someone in to relationship, in to conversation, and this part's important. It's the posture to be ready to say, now that you are here, we are a new us. And we wouldn't be the same without you just the way you are. Now, the different kind of hospitality says, welcome, come be like us. Now you should come and be with us, like us, do things our way. And I don't want to do that. And you guys, I'm going to be really honest. It's hard when we also try to create ways to do things to be blind to when we're doing that. So I speak it out loud so all of you can say, Melissa, we don't want to just have people come in and feel like they have to assimilate. Like, how are we new and changed? How are we a new us now that you are a part of us? That's the kind of hospitality. It's way more than opening a door and setting a table. It's even more than the sparkle water, although I think that that's important. But it's all of these things. Let us be a new us. Let us be against the idea of just assimilation. Come in. Let's do this messy thing together. Wouldn't it be more fun if you could be a part of us and we aren't as full? There's something about God that every person knows that we cannot know without that person. Christina Cleveland says something along those lines. I probably poorly quoted her, but it's her thought, and I want to give her credit for it. Everyone knows something about God that we can't know without them being with us and being part of this messy story. So that's what I mean by hospitality. So it's creating spaces for relationships, and that's not just here at 1242. That's across coffee tables and gospel communities. It's across the bombastic uh, coffee shop table, if you're just out with somebody, like it's whatever, it's outside of Sundays, it's outside of what you're doing here, it's in your week. I'm just highlighting a couple ways because that, that's what we want to do is say, like, hey, we're going to try to foster this, but this is in our whole lives. Opening spaces to live out the way of Jesus. And this is the part of the sermon I'm not excited about. So apparently the Bible says we have to confess to each other. You guys, I failed so bad at this this week, like a tangible fail. 
And I, once again, not only with the megaphone guy, but then now with this fail, was just like, I gotta toss this whole sermon because I'm not living what I'm saying. So I'm being honest and telling you, Wednesday night, such a full day, such a full calendar day. I race home for the quick hot minute to cook up the taco meat for taco bowls at community night and then race back. We don't even like fully, Andy's just in front on Southport while I race into Jewel to grab a few things and then race here to set up the taco buffet and sitting on the bench was a gentleman with a sign who he wasn't holding it up, but it was a sign that I knew was probably asking for some assistance in some tangible needs. And he had a little half of a roll and I was like, oh, do I need to get him a sandwich? No, he's got a roll out, he'd keep going. And I didn't think about him again and I ran out and I put the stuff in the car and I buzzed off. Why did I do that, you guys? I was going to community night at a church where I was creating a table to invite everybody into the way of Jesus and I didn't say, come on. I totally whiffed, you guys, I'm not even kidding, I cried afterwards when I realized what I had done and when I confessed to the Lord, like, I can't talk about this. I didn't even invite that man here. Why didn't I? Well, you know, it might have been a really big stretch for him to come into our space. Why didn't I open up the back hatch of that car and make that man a taco bowl, right? I had hot taco meat in my car. I had every piece needed for a taco bowl. Why didn't I stop and make the table right there where he was and talk to him? And just like welcome him into the community. Like he's there. I haven't seen him along Southport. Like, hi, what's your story? Here, are you hungry? Can we give you food? Let me tell you about, I don't know. I, I didn't do any of it. And so I'm going to be honest. Why didn't I do it? Number one, I exactly didn't do what I encouraged us all to do last week. I said, we need to be present in the moment and not always two steps ahead of ourselves. Okay, I failed at that and being expectant because we're willing to be present and expectant and I whiffed. That's number one. Number two, feels uncomfortable. I, I think I was just comfortable with the plan. I wasn't like even about social discomfort. Like I had a plan and I'm comfortable within my plan. That's what's comfortable to me. And just like the Pharisees and teachers here, it would have been inconvenienced or uncomfortable to have this plan shifted. And I whiffed and I confess this in front of you because I don't wanna act like I've got it all together just because I happen to be handed the mic sometimes up here. And because scripture says that we're supposed to be able to confess not only to God, but to each other. You guys, I whiffed big time, big time on this one. I hate it when I'm not brave in the way of Jesus. The spirit prompted and I chose comfort and convenience. So the renewal that we're talking about in real and gritty ways in this time in our lives is about being radically hospitable in the way of Jesus outside of our walls and outside of our comfort zones. And we have to be alert to let, see when those moments are happening. Uh, the professor that I'm studying with right now, Jeff, Jeff Holsclaw, was talking about this recently in class. He said, the embodiment of the gospel means doing the Jesus-y things. I love it when a professor talks like that. Just do the Jesus-y things. He's also a pastor. He says, when people in my congregation have doubts or are struggling with something, I say, I totally understand. Let's talk about that. But don't stop doing the Jesus-y things because that's where you'll probably encounter Jesus. So keep doing the Jesus-y things. We want to see renewal. Do the Jesus-y things, like inviting someone or stopping and making them a taco bowl, making a table right there on the bench, reaching out even if it's uncomfortable or inconvenient. Because Jesus-y things that we do create spaces. They pause. They listen. They honor outside of where we're already going, outside of our plan or our comfortable people. And that's where God's renewal for all nations can happen. 
Now, I'm not equating this person with need, me needing to share the good news of Jesus. I have no idea. That man could have been following Jesus his whole life. I have no idea. I lost the opportunity to get to know that man. The Jesus-y thing would have been to see that he was requesting some food and to stop my plan to just let him know that Jesus cared that he was hungry. God cared. And that sometimes that provision comes through somebody who happens to have a huge, huge thing of taco meat in the back of her car at that given moment, right? Like that's what a Jesus-y thing would have been to do. God breaks in in those moments when we're willing to do the Jesus-y things. One of the things with revival like this, one of the things with renewal that doesn't look like the glitzy moments of revival, one of the things with this is that it's not glitzy, you guys. It's, it's not this amazing story where we're gonna make it into the history books potentially of this great moment when something huge happened and people and huge numbers came. That can happen, but I think that right now there's something so deep that the glitz of the numbers isn't the thing that God is calling us towards. It's the depth, the authenticity, the, the, the spiritual healing that takes deep work when the hurt and the suspicions are rooted in deep things. We need a deep work to find ways to connect, to care, and to, to live out Jesus-y ways together so that people see that there is a way that is healing and hope and all of those things of renewal. So even if it's not glitzy and glam, this call to deep relationship and this call to just making sure we're not living into a lie of us and them, but we're being really, really cautious. It's, it's a lot of little non-glitzy moments. And that's exactly what I'm calling us to as a community, to do the unglitzy, Jesus-y things together in our life together and to make spaces both together and through our own weeks to invite people in and let us be a new us for the people that God is gonna bring to know his fuller story, amen? Uh, Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that um, got to experience that in a really personal way this week. Thank you that your mercies truly are new every morning. I thank you for the safety of spaces to be able to sit here with you, Holy Spirit. We are gathered in Jesus' name and you are here in our midst. I thank you that you um, can allow for celebration in the messiness. Um, sometimes I find that hard to believe, but I believe it in faith. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be in tune to where you are, to the Jesus-y things that are right in front of us, and that we would be people just um, ready and quick to say yes and amen, amen to your promptings. And we continue all that we do together here in community in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.